Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. I fly the ship? Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Among the Lotus Eaters, comes to you now via ancient Opalian Mariner's Keystone. And news from the fleet for this episode leaves orbit. Pete, just yesterday, we found ourselves completing the halfway mark on Secret Invasion, uh, that six-episode series with three episodes now, both uh, released and podcasted. So uh, there we are with the mysteries going on in the MCU. Can't believe we've hit the halfway point of that already. Similarly, Matt... It's it's out. We've seen it. We've talked about it. It's there for you to listen. Uh, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny podcast, along with podcasts of all four other films in the series. Pete, meanwhile, in our timeline, in our The Real World, the SAG-AFTRA extension on their contract expires Wednesday at 11.59 and 59 seconds. Will, uh, that is Pacific time, by the way. Will the Actors Union join the writers on strike? Will there be a solution found? Which I think either way sag after it goes, you could argue it's a, a blessing and a curse for the writers. Yeah. Um, so just a complex situation going on there. It is, and hopefully we can find some kind of middle ground for uh, all parties there. But in the Star Trek universe, Matt, episode descriptions now available up through episode seven, now confirmed to be titled Those Old Scientists, which already should mean something. Read that description at your own risk. Uh, I must confess, Pete, though I know we had spent (laughs) a number of times in the last literal year since it was announced that there would be a uh, Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover, uh, we've, of course, discussed it, looking forward to it and so forth. I've been enjoying the different flavors each week that Strange New Worlds has uh, been giving us that I had kind of lost track of the fact that we have this awesome crossover to look forward to that the rumor was it was episode seven and so forth so the fact that that has all been all but been uh you know had the ticket punch and all that just adds to my excitement uh that we'll be seeing in uh what about two and a half weeks time can't wait to get a hold of that one well with that pete let's head into our mission briefing as the enterprise assists the uss Cayuga. In charting a new binary system, Pike records a personal log on Stargate 1630.1 about he and Captain Patel attempting a perilous move of their own dinner. As Pike makes mother's tomato sauce, Patel enters with an overnight bag and number one interrupts about duty reports so that Pike explains he's incommunicado for the next half hour unless it's a red alert. Patel has a gift for Pike since he made dinner when Uhura contacts her that the Kyoga needs her to confirm a course correction. Pike opens the Opalian Mariner's keystone she found on Galt that ancient captains wore to guide them home. As he thanks her, Admiral Eldon contacts her and ohura routes the transmission to pike's personal station pete her chat is lengthy i know this because pike is sitting there looking at the plates the meal completed uh she's able to give him a whopping 10 minutes for dinner uh the news which she received that was that uh, geary has been promoted to commodore Battelle passed over ostensibly for her role in una's trial Uh, They eat and discuss their difficulties uh, with being together, finding the time and so forth. Pike suggests pulling back a little. That's right, Pete. Pike, who just got a nice gift from his girlfriend, is now suggesting on spending less time together. 
Uh, it's the wrong move. She says she'll see him when she sees him as she hits the road there. Uh, and Uhura calls down with information from command about Rigel 7. In the briefing room, uh, number one recaps how they were there five years ago on a routine survey mission when they discovered the Bronze Age Kalar caste society with a secretive ruling class and a formidable warrior class. The mission lasted just four hours, however, due to an emergency evacuation after Pike and company were ambushed and lost three crew members. Ortegas asks the logical question of why return, and number one explains scans can't penetrate the atmosphere, but long-range photography shows the Kalar are using the Starfleet Delta insignia, so they're worried about cultural contamination. Pike needs Mbenga as part of an undercover strike team to assess the damage and retrieve any tech. After the senior staff leave, number one brings up how the Kyoga left in a hurry, and Pike did that thing he does. But number one likes Battelle for him, and he has to clean up his own mess on Rigel 7 first. The credits tell us that the episode was written by Kirsten Beyer and Davey Perez, directed by Eduardo Sanchez. Uh, we see in the halls, in the corners of the ship, that Ortegas is excited to be going on an away mission this week. We're excited too. Pete, it's about time for us to get an Ortegas focus. It's something we discussed last season and in our season wrap-up that everybody else got an episode that was about them except for Ortegas. Uh, she has joined the away team already wearing that Kalarian hat. They're giving her a little guff for it. She's all in on the mission here. But Spock has noted that the debris field surrounding parts of the planet, it's dangerous. It will require Ortegas to stay on the ship to pilot around the debris. Promises are made uh, by Pike that he will get to Erica joining the away team next time. Uh, Pete, I don't know if that's kind of an in general next time or if that's like next week's episode. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Uh, Spock notes that he is not responsible for the data nor the assumptions made based on it, but shh, Ortegas shushes him. You need to know when not to talk, uh, which is just a great, this is a great little moment here between the two of them from the professional to the work friend personal kind of moment here. Uh, Spock's going to work on that, by the way, Pete. Further lessons here on emotion for Spock on the descending shuttle using the uh, stagecraft technology, they see the impacted asteroid that probably wiped out half the planet's population. They will hike 20 kilometers through hostile territory into the Kalar hemisphere. Once they land, Pike fills them in on the plan to not bring any of the usual tech, and Spock mocked up some items consistent with the planet's current stage of development like an extendable telescope he also chose laon and mbenga because of their hand-to-hand -hand skills which the doctor is reluctant to use they've been fitted with subdermal universal translators as well as to not contaminate the culture just then laon hears a high-pitched ring and loses focus on their trek she notes she's a bit lightheaded and discovers she's lost six hours from where they stashed the shuttle. Mbenga floats going back, but they'd never make it back by nightfall. So they press on to see not only the Starfleet Delta on a gate, but phaser rifles in the hands of the guards. Pike explains Spock was bleeding out when he ordered the evacuation and they fought their way out. So he wasn't exactly tracking gear at that point. And Mbenga alerts him to Kalar Company and Laon wants to take the six of them as Pike proposes diplomacy, posing as travelers from the north. But they know 
their Starfleet. And they're brought to the castle before former Enterprise yeoman-turned-king Zach Nguyen, who was lost on the original mission and holds Pike personally responsible. Pete, you referenced that on this previous mission, Spock was left bleeding. Do you know how I know that that was the case? Because in the uh, latter days of 1964, when filming The Cage Pilot, Leonard Nimoy included a limp into part of his performance to show the fact that Spock had been hurt on Rigel 7, which they reference in dialogue. That's how deep this episode goes. It goes to the first filmed episode of Star Trek, obviously with the return to Rigel 7, but also with elements like Spock was hurt because he got show because he showed he was hurt uh, in the performance back in 1964. All Star Trek matters, Matt. That is true. Uh, also, too, you go back and watch The Cage or The Menagerie, uh, reference also made to the Yeoman and two others being lost. So all this tracking here. Uh, Zach, we are told. Uh, High Lord Zacharias. Well, look. Some he shine might... on his name, would you? Uh, I, I reject such a thing, Pete, because I hold General Order 1 uh, to, to high esteem here. Uh, even the rebrand, a little goofy, but, you know, prime directive indeed. Um, It'll never last. <laughs> Pike, no one will follow it for sure. <laughs> Pike is ready to fix the mistakes here, uh, but is told that this is not a normal planet. It can be hard to think, the ringing in the ears. It is due to radiation that also leads to losing time, fear, forgetting until everything is gone. As for Zach, there's no going back after what he has done. Uh, he reiterates that Rigel 7 changes people and Pike and company are put in a cage uh, outside the castle. No, no real menagerie here, just, just standard cage. Uh, in the cage, Pike doesn't remember how it all happened. Uh, perhaps they could find the source of the radiation they check on the sleeping laan who awakes and doesn't remember them see time loss fear he 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 said that now now, now who's the he <gasps> pete it's happening to our heroes laan has forgotten her name as well ohura hears the ringing on the bridge and has lost two hours herself which ortega blames on staying up late translating Tellerite sonnets Number one orders uh, Uhura to sickbay, and Ortegas will help her there. Number one takes the helm, having flown the Enterprise before her. There's that reference again, Matt, to all Star Trek adventures. Before Nurse Chapel checks out Uhura uh, to find synaptic degradation in all but the occipital lobe and sedates her so that they can find the source. She had oatmeal for breakfast, same as always. Spock contacts them that six crew members in engineering are suffering from acute memory loss, so it's definitely not the oatmeal. I do like, Pete, that the the instinct to not dilly-dally with this episode comes through in this scene. The It's not presented as comedic. I, I from the safety of my chair, can say it's slightly amusing to say oh man uhura's got a problem as long as it's just uhura it's not a major problem wait that's spot calling to say six more people are coming okay it's a problem uh but back on the planet the cage is opened a guard gonna take them out they don't want to come they don't eat kindly man later revealed to be uh luke from star trek not to be confused with that other luke of course uh says that hold on mr guard they've had a rough forgetting he takes our trio under his wing luke does uh there's no totem for them and these cages actually keep wanderers safe at night uh, the memory loss is normal for them all uh we're going to go to the stone quarry we, clearly you are quarry workers wearing blue oh wait mbenga has green you cut the wood at the quarry uh pike kind of vaguely notes the starfleet delta on the castle there it, it clearly it's been been forgotten or, or the smallest wisp of memory in the quarry they work and pike still doesn't know what's going on uh luke is going to guide them 
through the next night's forgetting. He says that they are uh, all Kalar from the fields. They work together. They help each other. Uh, this idea that in the forgetting, the person that you are remains, but all the things that make you up essentially get forgotten yeah, each night. He has a tattoo, perhaps inspired by Christopher Nolan's greatest film, Memento, tattoos to keep track of who you are. Uh, that's how Luke knows he's Luke. Pike has no tattoos nor calloused hands. They don't belong here, Pete. Uh, La'an thinks they may have come from the palace and Pike has a necklace. Luke explains emotions guide them when their memories can't. When Pike challenges a guard, he moves with the training of a warrior. La'an joins in, but is mortally wounded by a sword slash, which Mbenga knows instinctually to put pressure on, possibly making him a healer. And Luke leads them away. Chapel briefs number one on the neurological effects impacting implicit memory as Una feels the effects for herself. A third of the crew has already gone down and Spock hands out pads with their personnel files so they don't forget, which Chapel calls a Band-Aid. Spock calculates they have less than an hour before they will be unable to cover all critical stations. Chapel suspects exotic radiation, and Spock says they were not in orbit this long last time, suggesting the planet is the source. Number one starts to forget the landing party, and Spock has Ortega's break orbit for the debris field, which might protect them. She flies the ship. On the planet in the, the worker camp, Luke brings them home to, to his hut. La'an is in rough shape. Benga needs his memories back in order to fix her, though Luke suggests such things simply be let go. Hey, says La'an, how about don't forget me here as I'm dying? Oh, it'll be a rough moment, says Luke, but forgetting is a blessing. They will forget her passing. Hey, still here, essentially, says La'an. Uh, as for the totem to help remember, Pete, it's literally a carved totem pole. Sometimes the easiest answer is the easiest answer. Uh, there are two types of Kalar, those who remember and those who forget. Forgetting is the freedom. Uh, how did the palace Kalar keep memories? There's legends that there's uh, a hidden casket in which the forgotten memories go. Uh, Pike wants to rescue those memories. And of course, if they're going to try, they should do it now. To wait is to forget. Pete, a life lesson here. Live in each moment. Embrace it. Luca decides to help them go to the palace to get their memories back because of the strong emotions they display, proving to him that it is real. As they make their way outside the castle, La'an struggles Pike and Mbenga will continue, but Luke doesn't want his memories and asks about Pike's necklace, which he knows was a gift from someone he needs to return to. But the forgetting can't take love. Luke inked over some of his tattoos, but the emotional loss remains. Ortegas and Spock hear the ringing and suffer disorientation as the ship registers alert. He thinks the answers are on the pad, but he can't read. She's angry at him, but doesn't know why. She leaves her station to find safety and tells the voice and the turbo lift to take her home, which is deck six. There she sees others wandering aimlessly, much like the uh, episode's source of title, Matt, the Odyssey, the Lotus Eaters, where uh, on the ancient isle they graze on the orchid-like flower with its narcotic effect and lost their hope and their will to return home. Uh, but the computer tells Ortegas that deck six is where the officer's quarters are and illuminates a path to section G room 629. In her quarters, Ortegas 
feels safe, but the debris begins to pound the ship, which it alone cannot stop. We won't follow the tangent that weirdly on Star Trek, everybody's an officer and there's no enlisted people except for Chief O'Brien sometimes. And that's just something Star Trek doesn't like to go down. Uh, Pete, looking at this bedraggled crew here on Deck 6, I'm reminded of that. That public service announcement of the 80s and 90s. I shall rephrase. This is your crew. This is your crew on exotic radiation. Any questions? Uh, we head back to the planet, which, by the way, Pete, I was critical, with love, critical during season one for some of the, uh, the LED wall scenes in which I felt like the production was still getting a handle on how to, how to deal with when the set ends and the wall begins. Um, I watched this entire episode the first way through, not even ever considering that the outdoor stuff was in an LED space. And it was only on second view that occasionally, for example, in the in the uh, the stone quarry, they have stuff at the rear of the stage before the, the LED wall takes over to hide that seam to address that very issue. So, you know, I don't think we were ever like, this looks fake in season one. But, you know, we've discussed how brand new technology, you learn how to best use it. This entire time, I just bought that they were on this alien planet. I never said... This is a park in Toronto. This is a back lot. This is a soundstage. It was just the characters were there seamlessly. So kudos to them. They're uh, getting a lot better at creating effects inside the camera. <clears throat> there was some lens flare. I, I know how strongly some Star Trek fans feel about lens flare, Matt. Um that helps to sell it a little bit more. So I really think the the photography aspect is is catching up to the, I mean, it's not a real world effect. Again, they're, they're taking imagery and putting it on the background. So they're lit, you know, uh, in real time, in real space, but it's, it's definitely improved use of it. Um, Pike and Mbenga overpower the guards here, but uh, Mbenga is grazed by a phaser shot to the leg and will hold off four more so Pike can go in as Ortegas pleads with the computer to stop the rocks. <laughs> the computer tells her she is the Alpha Shift pilot. She's Erica Ortegas. She flies the ship, confident in who she is. She returns to the bridge where she feels like she knows what to do and Spock feels she's correct. I'm reminded of the ever enjoyable YouTube channel, junk ball media that tends to do star Trek focused videos. And uh, he has pointed out numerous times across. I don't know if it goes into the eighties, but certainly nineties star Trek forward, how whenever there's an explosion of debris on a starship, it's always weirdly rocks. Rocks come shooting out of the ceiling. Rocks come shooting out of, you know, uh, Worf's station and, and so forth. So, indeed, stop the rocks. Uh, in the castle interior, Pike takes out the guards. It's just him and Zack now. Pike advancing, ultimately taking Zack's weapon. I like... Oh, look, there's the cool fight choreography that we all saw in the trailer where somebody, now shown to be Zack, uh, shooting a phaser at Pike, and he's using a big uh, tray to deflect it. Totally great, totally, you know, cool use of, you know, uh, all right, Anson Mount, hold this thing that's rigged to, you know, have a little spark explosion, and then we're going to go back and animate red phaser fire. Awesome, good stuff. The subtlety, though, Pete, how he's shooting to from, from pike's perspective he's shooting to the right of zach right of zach that gets zach behind the crate shoots zach uh shoots at the crate itself making zach now jump out where he is uncovered coincidentally it lets the phaser rifle be uh let go as well pike goes in for the uh you know kind of the, the moment of of triumph there it, it's a nice nice moment there but pike's real concern here the the memories in the casket show me the casket no, no, says Zach. That's all a lie. Um, so how is it that the castle folk keep their memories? Pike starts to, to beat it out of Zach. We 
cut back to Ortegas having fun flying the ship. We see there's a huge rock in front of them. Uh, Ortegas uh, sets phasers to to thread the needle through. You know, Pete, as a as a supposed Star Trek engineer, I have some quibbles with that being the safest thing to do. But it certainly was the coolest thing to do. Phaser spin maneuver here, which takes us back to the planet where Pike finds the Starfleet crate filled with tools he does not recognize. Zack tells him the memory casket is a myth that an asteroid hit the planet thousands of years ago and the palace is made of an ore that protects them from the radiation, as do the helmets the soldier Kalar wear. Zack thought Pike would get lost, but he says his memories will return in the palace as he beats him and points a phaser rifle at him, but his memory returns just before he fires it. Rigel 7 doesn't change people. It just shows them who they really are. Pike mourned his crew members' loss, but everything Zack did after that was his doing. Pike will bring him home uh, for Starfleet to decide punishment. Mbenga treats La'an in time, and Luke regains the bittersweet memories of his son and wants to restore the field Kalar's stories. Indeed, all Kalar should know about their past. Uh, as for Pike's necklace, Pike realizes that he needs to apologize to Battelle, who of course gave it to him. You might remember that from all the way at the beginning of the episode. On the ship, Ortegas notes that clearing the asteroid field has uh, led to a return of the memories of all. Spock has devised a shield harmonic to protect the ship from radiation. Uh, and Pike is going to use shuttles to clear out that radioactive asteroid, which then gets brought up within the, uh, the uh, scope of the Enterprise. And that asteroid gets flung back into the asteroid belt in Pike's quarters. He kind of diverted the Cayuga to transfer Zack to her to prison, but also to apologize to Battelle uh, about them being apart. He will do whatever it takes. Her necklace indeed did bring this lost sailor home. There's only a handful of people who understand what it means to be a Starfleet captain. Uh, and where, she wonders, where will he find another gal who gets him like she does? Pete, will she forgive him? We'll see how the next 30 minutes go. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with that pesky old asteroid. Yes, the source, obviously, the the elements in it of the forgetting um, and that the ore of the palace and the helmets are the thing that protect those other Kalar. Um, interesting way to integrate it into both the A and B plots. You know, it's it's in the debris, and then one of them had crashed. They hadn't been there long enough before, so they insulated through all the. Uh, points of the plot yeah and i think as well um i kind of initially rolled my eyes at the notion of well if you take the asteroid out that's not a prime directive uh violation no i mean it, it legitimately is not it's not like hey let's hand you nuclear reactors you know you you caveman level people or that sort of thing it's in line with uh stopping the drought or stopping the uh in <laughs> stopping the other asteroid that was going to hit a planet in season 1 you know it's 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 part of that starfleet mission there we have as another threat Pete perhaps the biggest threat uh is Zack not a threat for having been left behind but rather for how he uh how he handled things in the 5 year interim Hi, Lord Zacharias here, contaminating the culture with the phasers, with the Starfleet Delta that they've adopted as his symbol. 
the other tech that he had, he had a tricorder that we saw in the crate, um, you know, awfully similar to the, the con, uh, you know, film routes. Oh, you left me behind. Hence the revenge. I'll, I'll stick you out there where you forget you can suffer like I did, but instead Pike is who he is. Um, and remains that way. And I do like kind of the, you know, th- this episode is not as big on the lessons as let's say the prior two have been. Um, but I do kind of like the nugget of a lesson, which is Pike was still Pike and protecting his people. And uh, presumably was not going to go too far with violence. Zach, meanwhile, guilty for going too far and all of that. Uh, Pete, we have as a threat in general, the Kalar people again, first, I mean, well, I guess properly for most people first viewed in the menagerie, but for, for the select few involved in the creation of the first Star Trek pilot, uh, the Kalar first viewed in during filming in November and December of 1964. Yeah, it's fascinating to think that they went back this far to integrate this story um, into the history, but just shows you again what fans you have uh, helming this production. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. So, Pete, some chatter online here, and I, I, I would like you to arbitrate the situation here. Has Kurt's Trek shown disrespect for calling these people the Kalar, which sounds like Worf's lady love, Kalar? Where did Strange <laughs> New Worlds... Sounds like my last name. <laughs> there you go. Where did uh, Strange New Worlds get the name for these people anyway that they've so used to disrespect Star Trek's lore? My college roommate used to call me uh, Ambassador Kalar. <laughs> um, again, this Tempest and Teapot here, this show got the name from the first episode of filmed Star Trek. Yes. So, no, they did not besmirch the half Klingon, half human I mean, character it's, from the generation. It's just, we've hit such a point in fan culture of the, the need to these picky things, my goodness. Pete Luke reflects on the suppression of cultural memories for the field. Kalar in what would have been just fine as a action packed where the memories go adventure. Is this episode maybe also reflecting aspects of the cultural impact of enslaved people and, and things of that sort? I think there's some commentary there. I think there's a greater meta commentary. The idea of screen time, the idea of, you know, soft versus hard skills, and then the emotional resonance of what's important. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because it is Zach who laughs away the notion of. Uh, empowered trinkets like this memory casket is this episode maybe also quietly mulling aspects of religion itself i don't know that there's a necessary religious overtone they never seem to take i thought the totem was going to go in that direction it's more of a societal and they hit you right up front you you don't realize it till you're re-watching the, the caste society, the the secretive ruling class. Oh, gee, Matt, why are they secret? Because uh, High Lord Zacharias has a special box in which he's protecting a tricorder and, you know, who knows what other gadgets that he has. Um, you know, I, I'm grateful they didn't take the religious route of, oh, we had an all-knowing computer the whole time. That we they refer to as, you know, the caretaker. What, uh, what theories do you have coming out of this episode? The Battelle drama at the beginning of this episode, the unseen conversation with Admiral Eldon being passed over for 
the promotion to Commodore that that Pike is sure was hers, uh, apparently to lose because Judge Advocate Pasalk is now punishing her for the perceived sin of not closing the book on uh, Illyrian Una. Um, what's her future here beyond her romantic entanglement with Pike? Well, I think first and foremost, I appreciate that primarily we're seeing, you know, the impact of one episode to the next, which has become part and parcel of, of Strange New Worlds. Also, I think that Battelle is a really great supporting character in this show. And, you know, look, it's the 2020s, having them each be captains, having them each, having there not be a power disparity here, power at work issue, um, I think is in line with kind of making a responsible drama in the 2020s, that kind of thing. Um, it does raise the question, you know, what is Patel's future supporting character as she may be in four uh, out of 14 episodes and so forth. Um, I would not have thought, oh, we have some sort of trajectory for this character other than she comes in to deliver, you know, personal news to Pike or professional news to the crew, that sort of thing. Would I like to say, oh, she's going to get that promotion by the end of the season? I think the it would need to be done with deft hands. And we have, you know, Akiva Goldsman and Henry Alonso Myers running the show. So deft hands indeed. Uh, deft hands with how you then treat their relationship and so forth. It's not impossible. It's not a no-go. But I think that kind of a holding pattern for now and kind of an example of how one episode does impact the next, uh, if that's the best use of her thus far, then that's a great use indeed. Ken Patel get a first name other than Captain? I would like to see how long they can go without giving her a first name. Uh, that was the conceit with number one, and I, I acknowledge that uh, that would have been too difficult uh, for a show that has this longevity. You know, we're obviously in, in a second season here, a third ordered and so forth. Fine, call her Una Chin Riley, no problem. I withdraw my complaints in the Discovery era and all of that. Um, but see how long you can do it with this character just to honor the Gene Roddenberry spirit of kind of a, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it's not exactly a mononym number one, but you know, Battelle has just the last name right now. Let's see how long we can stick with that. Not only did we honor Star Trek's origin with this, you know, missing mission to Rigel seven, uh, also, went back to Star Trek V, Matt, where one of the songs that Kirk proposes they sing around the campfire is Moon over Rigel 7. Ooh, that's a great, um, that's a great catch there. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess for Kirk, for Kirk, he doesn't have any negative memories associated with Rigel 7. So maybe, maybe this Second Rigel, second, uh, Rigel 7 mission uh, has, has passed into myth and legend such that, uh, you know, future, future crews will sing songs about it. Interesting that they decided that number one as an Illyrian would not somehow be immune or fight off the uh, radiation from the asteroid. Um, it's a good point to raise and I think it's a reminder that they're going to use number one's healing ability. Uh, they're going to use that carefully and or shipwide threats that really, really, really need to take the ship, you know, that need to put the entire crew on the, on the bench, on the hospital bed, on whatever it might be, that they need to be done carefully. You know, if it was just, oh man, now there's extra thick smoke coming from the air vents okay presumably number one's lungs could deal with that you know whatever it is when you dream it up pete now it's exotic radiation so exotic that it impacts everybody the humans the illyrians the everybody's you know um it'll be interesting to kind of keep track of your point though as these episodes move forward uh, because again to sit and go oh man the shuttle crashed everybody's got broken bones well not number one who's going to heal in 30 minutes that kind of thing Will we get Zach 
back as some kind of punishment is meted out by Starfleet. Could that be a way to bring Battelle back into the story? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate returning to Zach. I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's a foregone conclusion, but I agree with Pike's assessment. You know, Starfleet will pass judgment on you. I don't think it's a clear cut case of abuse here. I mean, Zach did not create the two tiered class system on Kalar. Was it reinforced by use of phasers and so forth? Yeah, but you know, did he fundamentally change the course of this planet? Not really, you know, they took all the, but unseen, they took all the weapons at the end of the episode. They pulled out the Starfleet Delta garden. Presumably they took down all the signage out of the, the great hall and the gate. And people are going to kind of continue from there. Um, so some sort of redemption tour, that would be nice. Um, you know, maybe now he's gone from Yeoman Zack to, to Ensign Zack on the Cayuga and he can say, Captain Pike, thank you for letting me letting me have a second chance. Will we ever get the backstory between Mbenga and Laon's bond, the gesture of wiping the forefinger under the eye, clearly some kind of, uh, you know, idea they've serve together in uh, a warrior soldier capacity. You know, I know every so often I kind of, uh, w with some sense of sarcasm and negativity, I kind of trot out the idea, you know, sometimes they just leave space to do the comic, the novel, and so forth. Um, maybe sometimes I'm a little too hasty with trotting that out. I mean, it's worked well for many beloved adventures uh, in Star Trek, if you've ever enjoyed a Star Trek novel or comic, etc. Certainly Star Wars, it's part and parcel. Uh, Marvel, kind of the opposite way in terms of there's, you know, you like more of War Machine? Go read, you know, decades of comics and so forth on the Marvel Unlimited app right now. Um, but that's a long way of saying, Pete, if you or I was in charge of not just a... <laughs> writing a script or a writing room. Let's say that you were at that Kurtzman level or at that kind of oversight across all of Star Trek. Wouldn't you be asking people, you know, hey, can you occasionally include details that aren't built to be payoffs in three episodes? Can you can you have stuff so that it can be picked up in the novel, in the comic, in the con audio drama that we have yet to hear about and, and beyond its announcement last September? So maybe, Pete, it's that. And, and again, for all the times I've pushed it as a negative, it would not be the worst thing in the world to be like, hey, Pete, I just got the audio book for this, uh, you know, Strange New Worlds novel, and you'll never guess what. It has the Laan and Mbenga wartime story, and it explains that. It was, it was really cool. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't hate that as kind of the story source of it. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. To the beleaguered Twitter application we go, Pete, in which we said, not a 4-3-2-1, but rather, uh, which character story did you find most memorable in this episode about forgetting? 6.9% uh, said Zach. 41.4% said Pike. 3.4% said Mbenga. And the winner was forty uh, with 48.3% Ortegas. I still wish, Pete, we had a proper Ortegas-centric episode, but we'll take them as we get them. Some replies here on Twitter. James is sagacious. Big Killin on Twitter says, thought we were about to get an Ortegas backstory. The show continues to blend episodic and serial elements well. Really love how much they dive into these characters. Fascinating. Fascinating with the PH. Uh, Prodigy Deserve Better at KCLYLE1 on Twitter says, nice to see Ortegas get a little spotlight. Still waiting for a backstory. But another fine episode with a cool story and great performances. Once again, taking a story we've seen before, but giving it a new spin. The show continues to kill it. I don't need a doctor. I need you. Uh, and last tweet, Pete, comes from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. I liked Lotus well enough, but I consider it a downgrade compared to the previous three season two episodes. Sorry, folks, but I will probably never be an Ortegas fan. Something about her character just doesn't do it for me, and that's okay. I don't have to like them all. 
Pete, while I respectfully disagree with Spider-Ham Lincoln there, I'm enjoying the Ortega's character. It did on rewatch. It, it it struck me as kind of funny where it's like, all right, uh, Melissa Navia, it's time for your, like, it's time for your big scene here. You're the only one on camera where you got to play stupid, where you go rocks, no rocks, computer who make fly. Like what? what I don't what are... think it was stupid. I, I think the the comedic aspect of the character has been there from her introduction um to maintain the sense of humor the absurdity of memory loss because of radiation uh okay and and drive the plot through character who is she she's the pilot um she'd be the first one to tell you uh, if you're going to rank intellects on the ship, she's not the highest, but you know, she's the, the gung ho hotshot pilot. Uh, I for one can't get enough of her character. Well, Pete, take us to Facebook on Facebook, Matt, some comments from last week's, uh, post top fan. Alan Thomas writes, I grant you that it was clever for Laon to use the security sensor as a distraction, but what about the ethics of framing an innocent woman for shoplifting? Honestly, for a security chief to pull that stunt and also leave a loaded gun in a child's room in the same episode, she ought to have to turn in her badge. I agree, though, Christina Chong's acting in the final scene was really powerful. I was moved. I also liked the interrupted kiss earlier in the episode. Is it really fair to call Khan a Hitler analog? In Space Seed, he was described as more humane than other dictators, so maybe more like Napoleon? I agree with Admiral Fred. Paul Wesley played Kirk okay. Better appearance hopefully he will continue to improve but he still has a ways to go to get to chris pine level shatner level is obviously unattainable and thus an unrealistic standard three hot dogs for me which for those keeping score at home makes two solid episodes in a row still waiting for an episode as strong as last season's finale but at least we haven't yet this season gotten to anything as god awful as the Elysian Kingdom poo emoji. I think that the comparison of Khan to Hitler, I think, is more. I, I will grant you Khan and the people of his ilk their exact role in eugenics wars that becomes World War Three. A Star Trek has played a little fast and loose. Honestly, it's only in this series, in the first episode of Strange New Worlds, where kind of eugenics war wars and World War III and post-nuclear Holocaust, where that's kind of all merged into one uh, event. Um, but I think with the context, in context of last week's discussion, I think it was more the the thought experiment of if you could go back in time, would you, you know, kill Hitler as a youth, hit, kill Hitler as a baby, that kind of thing. And here we are with the innocent Khan who will go on to do these things that is fated. Um, but is he guilty as a 12 year old? It was kind of more, more in the context of that. I had replied to Alan that I thought that Lon's actions fit with her gradual softening throughout the episode. Uh, he replied here, you're not including the gun thing. Surely I feel that must've been a directorial oversight. Like, they wanted her to set down the gun to show Khan she wasn't a threat, but it's hard for me to imagine they were intending to portray her leaving it with him. By the way, Matt expressed skepticism that anyone could dislike this episode other than white dudes mad about diversity. But I see that arguably the most famous Star Trek reviewer on the web, Jamal Escapacan, a.k.a. Jammer, uh, not white, he, uh, was, uh, has given the episode only two hot dogs or stars. Um, and Alan goes on to say, after linking the review here, uh, that he thinks that that reviewer is too harsh on the episode, but he's read his reviews for years and would staunchly defend him against any in, 
uh, intimation of bigotry or bad faith. Fellow Fantastic Geek top fan, I wish there was a way, Matt, to change. So Facebook, after you comment a number of times or interact with a page, it'll let you, you're a top fan and you can choose to have that badge when you comment, change ours to a PH uh somehow i don't know get get in touch with us meta we're on threads too uh josephina avalos uh replied to the post about last week's episode omg i never thought about captain kirk only showing up in alternate realities that's so true lol with the exception of the facetiming with lon at the end we still need an ortegas episode uh which i have replied to josephina before this week's episode aired that she gets some shine this week. Um, she better not get killed off. It's not like it's not looking good for her. Uh, one, she's a red jacket Two, no character development. Three, she's likable and has a relationship with most of the crew. I'm afraid if they start giving her character development, they're going to kill her off much like Hammer. Sad face emoji. We need more Ortegas. Then again, she's a helmsman. I don't recall writers ever killing a helmsman off. Am I right? Wait, that's how uh, Lieutenant Paris got his position in Voyager as the helmsman. Oh boy. But uh, she was a nobody. Ugh. Uh, I was not on board with Josephina's concerns about them killing off a beloved character just because they have a story arc. Uh, in Strange New Worlds until she mentioned Hemmer, and now now I am mildly concerned. It's also a good opportunity to remind ourselves, Pete, we're now 40% through this episode, or pardon me, through this season. Um, where is the next Bruce Horak character? Weren't we promised? I've like... heard some things, Matt, and I'm very interested to see if they're going to take place. Okay, I mean, because he's he seems like an amazing guy, and obviously Hemmer was played to perfection, so let's get this... Uh, wonderful actor um another makeup role or human role or whatever it is you have this opportunity to bring back a guy that you know um pete to the email inbox we go to an email from josephina avalos about this week's episode so look at that handoff there she says even though this wasn't a fully ortegas episode i'll take what i can get i must have watched this about 50 11 times i felt bad <laughs> for her after she got all ready and hyped for an away mission, sometimes when we are so good at our jobs or the only one who can accomplish it, we do get stuck there. That's my current situation to go. Two weeks ago, I was given a myeloma observational study that needed a lot of data cleaning. My OCD is giving me more work. I think the release of this episode was good timing. It's about having amnesia slash dementia and forgetting who you are. Subsequently, on the same page, the FDA approved of a treatment therapy that slows down the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and that treatment is now approved for insurance coverage. And then Nurse Chapel gives a good description of the early symptoms of Alzheimer's. Here comes Spock with the Band-Aid. He totally pulled the movie The Notebook Tactic to help them remember who they are. The ring in the ear was really annoying. Ortegas is really good at manipulating her facial expressions. Her thinking out loud uh, in her monologue was hilarious. Sounds like me pumping myself up to get my butt to work so I can pay the bills. That was some cool flying skills going through the space rock while rotating. Definitely uh, isn't Starly Captain approved. I was like, oh yeah, uh, two sharpest, best looking characters at the helm. Woot woot. They are like polar opposites. I thought it was beautiful when Pike lost his memories, but his emotions brought him to remember love. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Ortegas's background. I hope they do her justice since she's a wildcard character who has two thumbs up and is ready for more Ortegas. This gal, I'll leave you with absolutely Semper Fi, that from Josefina. Love that uh, Josefina sees herself in these characters and vice versa. And uh, again, man, just the, the beautiful diversity of the people who watch Star Trek and usually super precise jobs that uh, so many have seen themselves in this future of Star Trek are going to help us get there. This idea that we could eradicate something as dastardly. I, I can't think of a worse wasting away than Alzheimer's. And I, I think 
we've all known somebody affected by that, that they're in trials for that. That's great. Um, you know, I had, I had read that on a lesser note, they're, they're working on a vaccine now for Lyme disease. Let's, let's let Star Trek show us the way to get rid of these terrible things. Pete, let's now hear from Stacy Thomas. Her email is as follows. Hi, Matt and Pete. I'm so happy to have Star Trek back and anticipating new Fantastic Geek podcast episodes. Then life threw some crap at me and I got behind. Now I'm back on track, caught up. I kept my notes for all four episodes, but I tried to pare them down so this email wasn't too long. One, The Broken Circle. Good first episode of the season. Loved Pike saying uh, Spock wouldn't even have to leave Space Dock knowing that's exactly what would happen. I totally related to all the bridge crew's discomfort at the sh uh, having the ship inspected. I've worked in food service in the past, and I work in a lab now, and I'm painfully familiar with the feeling of an inspector in your space, looking for things in which uh, to find you deficient. And then we're going to steal the Enterprise? Of course we are. Stealing the Titan would have worked out so well for Picard and Riker. And Carol Kane, does anyone else think Commander Pelia sounds a touch like Simca? Oh, she knows Spock's mom. There, uh, there's something there. I love that she helps them make uh, the fake coolant leak seem more real because she's bored. I can't wait to see more of her. La'an has many great moments in this episode, but her Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark drinking the dude under the table and her I'm holding a thermonuclear <laughs> detonator uh, moments were my favorite. Two ad astra per aspera. I thought this episode was going to be all courtroom drama, but as is frequently the case, Star Trek surprised me. Ortega's doing voiceover for Spock and Captain Patel was hilarious. Then the humor was ramped down by Dr. Mbenga noting their tension. I was excited to see Yatide Badaki as Nira. I saw her as Bilquis in American Gods. She absolutely killed it in both roles, and her courtroom looks, whew, smoking. Courtroom scenes were so good, and the crew was talking about what Una means to them. Asylum, asked for and granted, brilliant. And then her return to the Enterprise. I may have gotten a little teary. Oh, that hand holding between Una and Nero lingered a bit, eh? Three, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Kirk mistaking Toronto for New York was a cute nod to Toronto, usually standing in for New York. Love that La'an and Kirk put on the same clothes. Best Kirk changed anyway. I know the leather looks cool, but it doesn't keep you warm. Also, it's uh, so cold. Why would, <laughs> why does no one ever button up their coats? I know, I know, it doesn't look as cool. Kirk playing chess for money was great. Kirk's don't skip the hot dogs so you can get them made me think of my dad. He always said never pass a bathroom because you don't know when you find the next one. This was mostly when we were hiking, but I found it applies to life in general. Of course, uh, of, of course, Kirk steals a muscle car, and of course, he figures out how to drive it right away. Poutine. Pre-engineer Pelia, ooh, kissy face. Number four among the Lotus Eaters. What a lovely start to the episode. Always here for Pike cooking. Though they're hoping for personal time, why are they in uniform? A half hour, that's it? I mean, they're clearly not uh, going to get even that, but at least try to give your girl more time. No, Pike, she's telling you uh, that isn't what she wants. Listen, damn it. Ah, love Una, knowing Pike and what he's doing with Patel. Or take us on a mission. So excited about it, she wore the hat. No party like a landing party. Oh no, she doesn't get to go. Why do they always save critical information for just before they get off the shuttle? Maybe La'an and Mbenga would have been better off knowing why they were chosen for their hand-to-hand -hand combat skills. Oh, tintinitis, a light headaches, uh, lightheadedness and lost time. That can't be good. Now hiding the symptoms, not good at all. Whoops, left someone behind. Wait, if no one remembers, how does Zach remember? Oh no, it's affecting everyone on the ship, or is it because Uhura is listening to the planet? Ship's too close to the planet? Ah, the kindness of strangers. Okay, so the palace Kalar don't forget. Radiation shielding? Seeing all the crew wandering aimlessly, not knowing who they were or where they are is very unsettling. Kudos to all the actors for making me feel it. I like that even when Ortegas is losing it, she trusts the ship to send her in the right direction. Ooh, bad time for Pike to lose time. Ortegas's incredulity. I'm a pilot, I fly the ship both funny and endearing, and it reminds her that, yes, she's a pilot. She does, in fact, fly the ship. Nice flying. I love how much she loves her job. Some memories are worth the pain of others, says La'an. Uh, gotta love man who owns when he's wrong. Pike and Patel get each other. It's a good thing. What a better way to end the episode than with a kiss. 
Well, I clearly wasn't successful at keeping this short, but I had so many thoughts. Anywho, I'm enjoying this season of Stranger Worlds, and as always, your coverage. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. That from Stacy, aka Stingray, aka Trek Girl, eighty on Twitter. She says, "Still there." Until it finally uh, actually implodes, I guess. Pete, I'd love to see Stacy over on Threads, where we are also yes, Fantastic Geek and Peter J. Cadillar. So there you go. Thank you, Stacy. Let's get her over there and get all our followers over there in case one timeline suddenly ends. With that, Pete, let's hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Maybe, Pete, this is going to be your long-awaited promotion to Commodore. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 4. First, coming back to last week's episode and podcast, first a remark that's also applicable in this episode, that I was amazed about how large the quarters are of Lan and also Erika, both being just not much more than lieutenants. If you compare that to the size of Kirk's quarters in the original series, it is four times as large, I think, Visuals in these rooms are great, by the way, just as in Star Trek Discovery. In my last audio feedback, I said some of the places where they filmed episode 3, I was in Toronto. But what I didn't expect, I was actually very close to the area where they collected the bridge rubble. Some remote harbor area where normally tourists never would come. But I was there because very close to that spot... Also, an Orphan Black scene was filmed, or actually several Orphan Black scenes, in different locations in that area. I recognized it because of the view on the city. I thought, I know this angle. Okay, enough about this, about this nerding out. I thought it was a nice reference when they are captured in this cage outside that Pike says, This is a cage, referring, of course, back to the episode The Cage. Talking about referring back to TOS, this theme, of course, is that the crew is disoriented and not able to think straight, forgetting stuff, being influenced by outside forces, etc., is, of course, a theme very often seen in TOS. So, in that sense, it was nice. On the other hand, it also felt a little bit as a trope. Well... It gave us our first interracial kiss on TV. Okay, that will be all for now. And it was definitely not the oatmeal. Pete, I think among other things, that's Fred's way of reminding us to make sure that we have healthy breakfasts like oatmeal that can uh, be digested slowly and lead to an even energy boost to make sure you're you're, you're, you're getting your best throughout the day. I, I assume that's all implied from a, a man of science such as Fred really sticks to your ribs how awesome that fred's time spent in toronto uh particularly in the fandom of one show led to him recognizing uh, another spot there by by the water uh, a parking lot where one could build the bridge debris scenes absolutely but matt let's talk about the place everybody wants to go that of course patreon com slash fantastic geek behind the door there that takes just a dollar a month to access you'll find all sorts of exclusive content uh you pick the level of your commitment can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a rating or a review and help us just as much our thanks to everybody who makes sure we are listener supported, particularly with two podcasts going at the same time, bandwidth and storage getting used and all of that. Uh, our appreciations there. Pete, next week will be the midpoint of uh, season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. How can people be in touch with you to share their thoughts as this season unfolds? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E. T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-12,752 followers on that platform. You can also find me on the recently uh, revealed Threads app uh, at the same screen name. 
Uh, and Pete, while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. Also on threads as Fantastic Geek. It's been nice uh, having some, some longer conversations there. Uh, but we, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H like it today. Pete, next Saturday we will return on the Secret Invasion feed and the Pop Culture Podcast feed for Secret Invasion Saturday and then back on Star Trek Sunday for the next episode of Strange New Worlds. With that, I will say adios to our listeners and give you the final word. Let's get to that shuttle bay and have ourselves a landing party. 